Hello, I'm glad you're here and I hope you're doing really well. So far in this series, we've been talking about the nature of the church, what it is, and the way God's designed it, the various facets that he's given to it. Today, I'm going to talk about the purpose of the church, according to Scripture. And what we know is plans and directives help us move forward. And that's true for organizations, it's true for armies, it's true for anyone who's trying to do anything, really. Like these plans for D-Day, one of the key battles in World War II. You can see there were general directives. They were they had a, a plan for fighting the battle. Or here's Kevin McAllister's plan to fight off the criminals from home alone. Another, you know, less serious thing. But hey, you gotta have a plan. And there are four major directives that come from God in the scripture that guides our focus as a church. My mentor, Harold Bullock, calls these kingdom prime directives. They are gigantic statements in Scripture that guide all of our efforts in church life, and they should guide our efforts as individual Christ followers as well as members of the church. These four directives are like lights in the harbor that point the direction for this, the ship to guide safely into harbor at night. The church must focus on doing God's will and God's work, and God's given us the direction we need, these directives, that help the church and its members to avoid wasting their time. So it's very important. When, when it's quiet, and we have time to think, all of us want to know that we're giving our lives to, to what's really important, to what really matters in this world. That's how I am, and I'm sure that's how you are. If we work to do our part to accomplish these objectives, then we can know that we're doing what's most important to God. It's it's what's most significant as well. So let's dig into the prime directives. Here are the kingdom prime directives. First of all, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is the foundation for the church and for his followers' lives. And in this command, he gives the church and his followers the framework for their lives, like the frame of this house. This happens to be our house as it was being built. And it, the frame of a house gives the structure and it's what defines where the activities inside the house will go on. In the same way, the Great Commission gives the framework for the spiritual house of the church, what should be going on inside the church. It directs us 
so that we know the framework for the church's activities and for our lives as well. We, we have a tendency, it's, it's, by the way, that is a gigantic worldwide frame for what the church should be about. But we have a tendency to want to shrink the frame of our lives around a few things that really are important, but they, they fit within this larger framework. Things like family, work, wealth, education, a certain relationship. These things are important to God, and we'll see where they fit in a few moments, but these things fit inside the larger framework of the Great Commission that God has given us. So as we do all of those things, uh, as we work, as we do family life, as we build wealth, we, we, we keep in mind the larger framework that God wants us to be operating within. There is one command in the Great Commission, and that command is to make disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus Christ or a learner, uh, more specifically. And what we're commanded to do is make disciples, or in other words, make more disciples, help people come to the point where they decide to follow Christ themselves and uh, begin to, to learn from him, begin to follow him. Why is this so important? It's so important because becoming a follower of Christ brings eternal life to us and changes every part of our life in the here and now for the better. I've watched over the years when people decide to follow Christ, they begin to take him seriously, and they continue to learn what it means to follow him, their lives always get better. Their families, their work life, the way they approach their education, their friendships, and other relationships grow. They, they really begin to thrive. The church's mission is to keep helping more and more people become followers of Christ and experience the blessing of being a part of his church community. It's interesting, there's one command, make disciples, but there are three participles that are actions related to fulfilling this command. The first one is going, second one bab baptizing, and then teaching. Uh, when it says going, every follower of Christ is commanded to go. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's, it's better said going because uh, of the way it's written in the Greek that it was originally written in. But as we team together as a church, we go. Wherever you are, you should be going. Going through the day with the purpose of making disciples in your family life, at work, helping Jesus Christ make sense to the people around you. And basically, that's, that's what it means to go as, as an individual Christ follower. As a church, it means sending out teams to start new churches. That's what we've done um, by sending out Josh in 2007 
from OCC by planting the Alhambra campus in 2012, and then by launching Alex to, to plant Ridgeview with his launch team in 2018. And, and hey, this is kind of fun. Our first granddaughter church is starting up in Santa Clarita. That's, that's fantastic. It's, it's going to be called Valley Lights Church. That's pretty cool. But this is our framework. We, we go through our days and as individual members of the church, we're looking for ways to make disciples, to encourage people to follow Christ. And as a church, we're launching other churches to uh, make more disciples. And then we also support people across the globe who are focused on making disciples. So we must be going if we're going to fulfill this command. And then the second participle is baptizing. Baptism is a public statement that Jesus asks us to make, telling everyone that we've decided to follow him. It's an outward symbol of the inward reality or, or of the spiritual reality, rather, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Notice the order here. You make disciples, you become a disciple, then you get baptized. Baptism is an initiation. It's not a graduation because the order is baptism. I mean, become a disciple, baptism, and then you learn to observe. So it's it's not a graduation in any way, shape, or form. It's it's an initiation. We've got a baptism coming up, and it's the first step of obedience that Jesus asks you to make after you decide to follow him. You get baptized afterwards. This is the pattern of the New Testament. And then teaching to obey is the third participle. The third way that we fulfill the command to make disciples. Not teaching to know. He's not teaching us to know more about God or following him. But he's he's commanding us to teach to do more of what God has told us to do. This is my aim in every message. At CIV, we aim to make the Bible practical because that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. How do you live it? How do you observe it? Not just how do you read it, but how, how do you live the, the Word of God, the Bible, in family life, at work, in school, in relating to friends, in your finances, in decisions that you're making, in the recreation that you do? So this is a huge framework that God gives us for living our lives, and it brings a tremendous amount of meaning to our life as we live within that framework as a church and as individual members of the church. A second prime directive is called the Great Commandment. The Great Commandment provides the boundaries for the church. Uh, in, in baseball, if you hit a foul ball, you don't get on base. You know, you're out of bounds. There are also out of bounds lines in most sports, um, in basketball, soccer, football, 
here, here's a receiver stepping out of bounds, and he doesn't get to move forward from that point on because he's out of bounds. This catch doesn't count because he's out of bounds. In tennis, if you hit the ball out of bounds, it doesn't count. In the same way, if we step out of the boundary of love as a church or as individual members of the church, as individual Christ followers, it's a foul. We're not doing God's will God's way. We've stepped out of bounds. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, a lawyer, this, this happened a few times, a lawyer posed a question to Jesus. And he was trying to test him or trick him. Not sure the motive. Uh, but scripture says he was trying to test him. And he asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And this is Jesus' answer. And it's interesting when Jesus wants to make sure his disciples catch something or therefore when he wants to make sure we catch something, he repeats it like every good teacher does. He repeats it several times. And this great commission and the great commandment, they show up stated in different ways at different times in Scripture. In this great commandment, the Lord gave us one right motive for everything we do. It's love. Love shows us what is in bounds for the church and for each of us. If we step outside the boundary of love, then we commit a foul. We, we sin. It's, it's out of bounds. You love God by doing what he told us to do. That's what Jesus explained in, in the scripture. And we love God also by loving the people that he's made. It's, it's interesting. Another time a similar statement was made uh, in the Gospel of Luke to the one that we just read. And this time a lawyer was trying to trick him or test him. And he asked Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, hey, what do you think? <laughs> you know, he turned the question back on him, asked his opinion. And the man quotes this same passage from the first part of the Bible. And Jesus responded to him, do this and you will live. Do this and you will inherit eternal life. Now, of course, it's impossible to perfectly love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But, and that's part of it, we need to realize we fall short of that and we need the grace of God for sure. But after telling this man, this lawyer, to do this and you shall live, Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan, clarifying that the person right in front of you is your neighbor. So everyone you're relating to is your neighbor, and you need to show love to them. 
that's that's quite a standard. But what Jesus does here is he takes love out of the realm of emotion. And in this statement and in the story of the Good Samaritan, he shows that love is a verb. It's something you do. And it's something you sh- you do to show kindness and grace to the people around you. It's not a right answer in a theological debate. Love is something that's not in the realm of theory, but it's something you do. Love should be the basis of our behavior. The lawyer gets unsettled by this, the second lawyer that Jesus is talking to. He gets, he gets unsettled by this because he wanted to stay in the realm of theology, in the idea realm. He, he didn't really want to get practical, but Jesus pushes him into action. And he, even though he wanted to stay in the, the abstract and not get into the concrete reality of how we should treat people, Jesus made sure it got very practical. So the great commandment sets the boundaries for everything we do. And the next prime directive is called the great mandate or the cultural mandate. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In this passage, God planted the seed for all of our activities. This is the seed for family life, for science and technology. To fill the earth, we need to invent, we would need to invent ways to travel. So boats and trains and planes are a part of this command. God gave us the basic stuff of creation and he wants to take it and do something with it. That's what it means to subdue, to, to make it work for you really. Um, or to do the upkeep on it. So agricultural advance, ecology are part of this. Education is seated in this command since it's crucial for one generation to learn from the, the last generation so that we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel over and over again. All kinds of legitimate work and recreation are a part of this command. And what you find is A major way that we honor God is taking the seed of the ability that he's given us, the seed of the stuff, the material of earth and life, and develop and cultivate it into full-blown plants that bear the kind of fruit that he really wants us to bear, what pleases him. So God made trees, not cabinets. He made rubber, not tires. He made electricity, not light bulbs or computers. And so he's pleased when people take the stuff that he's made, that he's given us, and figure out how to build with it or use it to to accomplish a purpose. This means that we can't fit God into some kind of religious compartment in life. 
if we're doing legitimate things, God wants to be a part of it. He wants to help. He is interested in every aspect of our lives, not just some kind of spiritual or religious compartment. And so what this means is he, he he's not going to fit in that compartment. We can't put him there. He's not going to go there. He's he's in he he is over all of life and wants us to honor him in that way. For the church, this means that pastors should help members and attenders of the church to know what the Bible says about every area of life. Family life, work life, ministry, relationships, finances, making decisions. So this is, this is a part of what we do. The purpose of the church is how do we do what Jesus showed us to do? How do we observe what he's commanded us to do? And how do we live the, the commands of scripture related to all these areas of life? A final prime directive is called the great objective. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God's overarching purpose for creating people is so that they would glorify him. And this is the right thing. Something made should glorify its maker. Life gets stale when we don't live for this purpose of glorifying God. In fact, when we have no purpose for anything that we're doing, uh, people can go crazy. Uh, in, in fact, this was a Nazi strategy to break down the prisoners in the concentration camps. They would move piles of dirt from one location to another, and the next day they would move the pile of dirt back to the other location, the original location, and if you do that day after day after day, and there's no seeming purpose or meaning in your activity, it, it would drive them crazy, literally. They would break down. Healthy people have a drive to contribute to the world we live in. And I, I'm not really fond of moving dirt, uh, but when it has a purpose, I'll do it. I, I planted some trees and, you know, I'll dig the hole and move the dirt and plant the tree and then stand back and enjoy the the fruit of my labor, Lord willing, if the fruit produces, the tree produces the fruit. Um, in fact, I have a history of digging. You, you, you know, you probably don't know this, but I when I was growing up, I don't know, I was probably nine or ten or I'm not quite sure how old. I wanted a swimming pool so badly that I dug a massive hole in my backyard behind the garage of the house I grew up in, hoping that my dad would break down and and pour concrete and build a swimming pool. Now, obviously, I had no idea what it took to build a swimming pool, but that's not the point. Um, I I was pretty... Sure that I could convince my parents to give me whatever I wanted. And uh, so I dug the hole, and my dad didn't go along with it. You know, he said no. And the lesson learned there is it's important to learn to align your effort 
with the person who has the final say. There's much more purpose and meaning to your labor when you do that. That's what I'm trying to do in this message. I'm trying to make sure that we understand the prime directives that God has given us and how we need to line up with God's directives because he has the final say. He's the one that we're aiming to glorify. That's our objective, to glorify the living God who made us and who formed the church to do his very purpose for it. If we don't follow the prime directives for what God wants us to do and give our time and energy to these things, we're off track. We're wasting our time. The great, object, the great objective for the church and for each of our lives is to bring glory to God in what I do and the way I do it. The Bible says that we were made to glorify God. In fact, there's a golden thread of the glory of God that's woven throughout all of Scripture, from the first book to the last book. Here it is in Revelation 4.11, the last book of the Bible. You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The reason we should glorify God is that he made us. So we are his. We belong to him. He formed the church. So everything we do in the church should bring glory and honor to the God who formed it. We glorify him by living in a way that enhances his reputation and gives him the weight of significance that he deserves. When I decide to follow Christ, God's glory becomes the guiding principle of my life. It's the guiding principle for the church. If it will glorify God, I do it. If it won't, I don't. That's, that's the pattern. The church glorifies God when we allow these prime, direct, these prime directives to, to guide us, to be our guide. Also, Christ followers glorify God when we do our part in the church and in our individual lives to fulfill these prime directives. So, specifically, this means we live within the framework of the Great Commission. We don't shrink the frame around smaller parts of our lives, but we do the, the specific thing that we're doing day by day in light of the framework of the Great Commission. We stay within the boundaries of the Great Commandment, and we aim to love God and the people that he's made and that he brings across our path. We recognize that in every aspect of our lives, we should aim to fulfill the Great Mandate and not put God into some kind of religious compartment because he, he's not going to go there. He's God. We're not. And we make it our overarching objective to glorify the one who made us. These prime directives are the lights that help us focus on what God wants in the church and in our individual lives 
so that we guide safely into the direction that God wants us to go. I'd like to encourage you to take some next steps related to these prime directives today. Here are some steps that I want to suggest. My next step today is to formally commit to CIB through membership. Another step, get baptized if you haven't been baptized since committing your life to Christ. Uh, follow through with obeying Jesus by getting baptized. And then the final step, set out to glorify God as you aim to follow his directives. Maybe God spoke to you as I walked through the different directives. And the way that we glorify God is we live within the framework of the Great Commission. We stay in the boundaries of the Great Commandment and we fulfill the great commandment by doing whatever it is we're doing to the glory of God. Circle one of those that, that in your mind or on the screen. You can't circle it on the screen, I know. But circle it in your mind or on your, your listening guide. And so uh, the, this, this is how God brings all kinds of meaning to life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the direction you've given us, how following you brings meaning and purpose and real direction to life. Thank you for that, God. Help us to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take. And I pray that, God, you you would be pleased and honored and glorified by what we do each day as we set out to follow you and bring honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.